Have you ever wished you could just download the wisdom of some of the world's most successful people directly into your brain? Yeah, me too. Well, unfortunately, we don't live in the matrix and uh, we don't have that technology quite yet, but we do have the next best thing, which is Polina Pompliano, who has the privilege of having a front row seat to the world's most successful people and has been able to curate all of their wisdom for us in one of two ways. One, she has an incredible newsletter called The Profile, where she does a profile on the world's most successful people every single week from all kinds of industries and backgrounds. And she's also the author of the brand new book, Hidden Genius, The Secret Ways of Thinking That Power the World's Most Successful People. Previously, she spent five years at Fortune, where she wrote more than 1,300 articles and earned the trust of prominent investors and entrepreneurs. As the author and editor of Term Sheet, Fortune's industry-leading deal-making newsletter, Polina interviewed the industry's most influential deal-makers, including Melinda Gates, Steve Case, Chamath Palihapitiya, and more. In this episode, we unpack a little bit of Polina's story, which is so encouraging and fascinating, by the way. I kept wanting to go back to it, even though she didn't want to make too big of a deal about it. But she then gets into sharing some of the biggest lessons that she learned from some of the world's most successful people, from crazy ultra-athletes to successful entrepreneurs and everyone in between, and how you can apply those lessons to your life and your business and unlock your hidden genius. I loved this conversation with Polina, and I know you will too. So sit back, relax, get ready to soak up that wisdom into your brain, and enjoy my conversation with Polina Pompliano. Welcome back to The Graham Cochran Show, where each week I'm helping unpack the mindset, strategies, and habits to help you build a highly profitable and life-giving business. I'm your host, of course, Graham Cochran, pumped to hang out with you today. If you haven't already figured out how to make passive income, today is your lucky day. I want to give you a on-demand video training, my passive income workshop, which I will teach you the four components you need to create your first $1,000 a month of recurring passive income, even if you only have 30 minutes a day to apply to this. I know you're busy. Either you have your nine to five or you're having a service-based business or you're a full-time student or full-time mom or dad. There's a lot going on in your life. So I've worked this out so you can chip away at this business in 30 minutes a day and create your first thousand dollars a month of passive income. It's basically behind the scenes of how I run both of my online businesses. So if you want access to this free on-demand video workshop, go at your own pace. Just go to grahamcochran.com slash workshop. How creative is that? Or if you're watching on YouTube, click the link below and it's there for you. You should watch it. It's really, really good. All my best students go through it. There you go. Now let's jump into the episode. Polina, I'm glad we could sync up. I know we were supposed to record this episode a little while ago and you were losing your voice because you were <laughs> reading your darn audio book for your awesome book uh, that's coming out. Um, should be out real soon if it's not already out when people listen to this hidden genius. So glad your voice is back and glad we could have you on the show. I'm very excited my voice is back. It was uh, a rough, dark few days there. <laughs> It's for real. And it's funny because you had said like, yeah, I think we'll bang this book out in like three days. Uh, and But you get in there and you're just like, say it again, say it again. Or the way you said that was weird or like, you're like, oh my gosh. And even reading my own, when I did it, I don't know about you, when I was reading my own book, I'm like, I never intended to say that sentence out loud. And it's hard to say that out loud. There were so many pronunciations and I've learned that I can't say certain words. Um, there was, there's one phrase in the book called, or it was like in, incapacitated crew rescue. That took me maybe wow. like a good 45 minutes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So it's funny because um, in, in reading your bio and the people that you've interviewed are, are phenomenal. We'll get into it. But one of the people that you've interviewed, I, I've quoted him in Chamath. I quoted him in my, my book and I never knew how to pronounce his name correctly. So I had like my, my the audio book narrator or coach, like how, how do I pronounce his name? And I had to say it over and over again, Chamath Palihapitiya. And there was one quote, he had a great quote about businesses that like skyrocket to success and their half-life is just the same. And like, it was a great quote, but I was like, I can't pronounce his name <laughs> and I'm tripping over my word. So anyway, I saw yep. his name in your bio and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he, he's what tripped me up in my audiobook. So I know it's tough. And then like these names of philosophers, it was, it was a lot of Googling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank God for Google. 
Well, um, you, I, I, I want to get into your story because um, you have a really cool perspective on really successful people. Uh, and your book is all about this, um, which I'm really excited to get into as well, some of the stuff in your book. But I've heard you tell your story before, but I, I think from what I know, you followed a pretty linear path that led you to starting the profile. So can you just tell us a little bit about your story, the pivotal moments you had that led you to kind of where you are today, even leading up to this book, maybe? Yeah, it's so funny that reading my bio, you think it's linear because in my head, I think it's so winding and there were so many things that went wrong um, that I just didn't expect because basically I um, <clears throat> I was born in Bulgaria. We moved to Atlanta, Georgia when I was eight, didn't speak English, didn't couldn't read. <laughs> um, so and it was funny because in Bulgaria, I had actually learned to read really young. I was four. So to me, reading was like the superpower. And then coming to a new country and not being able to read was like everything that you love is like being taken away from you. So my basically like my prerogative moving here was like, I just need to learn how to read again um, and communicate. Like that was like my key to everything. So I would bring home books in English and take out the English to Bulgarian dictionary and go word by word until I understood what the book was about. It was crazy to think that that sort of like intrinsic motivation an eight-year-old had is wild, but <laughs> that, that just shows how much I really enjoyed reading. So I kind of, um, through school, I was very introverted, very shy, didn't have a ton of friends. And then in high school, um, I discovered the newspaper and I was, uh, both of my parents are chemical engineers. So I went into high school in this like science magnet program. So I thought I would be doing something in chemistry, even though I was painfully, painfully bad at everything that was like science related. I would break every uh, oh, flask, like every experiment I would mess up. So nobody actually wanted to be in my group. The only reason they wanted to be in my group is because I always wrote the lab report that was like 15 pages. <laughs> so they were like, sure, Smart. we'll do the experiment. You'll write. And I was like, hey, okay. Teamwork. Teamwork. So um, I knew I liked writing. I knew I liked research, but I never really put together like, hey, journalism may be for you. So then in high school, I discovered the newspaper. I joined it as a club and I learned that, you know, I was good at writing. I, I realized that in that class, I realized that I really, really liked researching and reading about people's stories and backgrounds. And then the one part that I really thought that I didn't wouldn't enjoy was interviewing people because I was so shy but what I realized is like being in that role gave me kind of like an alter ego of like oh I'm a journalist now I have to talk to these strangers for my job mm. and it suddenly like became easier you know what I mean it's like suddenly I had this like agency and license to talk to anybody because I was doing this for a specific purpose um, so, so that really, really like broke me out of my shell, made me more outgoing. And then I got to college. I went to the University of Georgia. I majored in journalism. I became the editor of the college paper. I interned at like CNN and USA Today. So coming out of college, I thought that it was a guarantee that I would get a full-time job at like a prestigious newspaper and, uh, be on their investigative team and all that stuff. None of that happened. I graduated, no job offers, um, moved back home with my mom, lived on the couch for a year. And in that period of time, I was like, okay, so what, what do I want to do? The only thing I knew was that I needed to somehow get to New York City from Atlanta, Georgia, because that's where like media was. And I, um, I just like applied to everything I could. And I got a job at a media startup, got to New York, was there for six months and then needed to get out because let's just say I didn't ethically agree with what was going on in the startup, but it did teach me a lot about fundraising and how what a startup is, et cetera, which I didn't know would then help me at Fortune Magazine. When I got to Fortune, um, I originally started doing social media, but I'm one of those people that's like, if I can like wedge my foot in the door and you let me in, like I'm, I'm like gonna go in, I'm gonna figure it out until I get like weasel my way into doing what I want. So I wanted to write obviously, but I was doing social media. And so I was like, <laughs> how do I get to that? Yep. So anything, anybody who didn't want to write a specific story, if anybody needed help, I would just offer to help. And then eventually I started writing um, Fortune's deal-making newsletter term sheet. And from there, just 
I started my own thing, the profile on the yes. side. And then here we are today. <laughs> I, I love that. And I love, um, so th- first of all, uh, it's incredible that you had that kind of determination as an eight-year-old to learn another language after already learning to read at such a young age. I, and I, was, I was feeling your story of almost probably, you probably felt like you lost, use the word agency later, but you almost lost agency coming mm-hmm. here to this country. You had the power of reading. I have two daughters. They're, they're voracious readers. They love reading. And like to have that taken away, if you're trying to read in this new language and you have to read it, like, oh, it feels like you're almost stepping backwards in your handicap and you lose a power. Um, it's just, anyway, it's probably very foreshadowing of the type of person you were and, and I'm sure your book has going to have lots of cool stories about other people yeah. in this way too, of like, that was, you were always that way. Um, and it was showing up in wanting to learn how to read and translate as an eight year old and then leading to wedging into, okay, how can I go from social media to what I really want to do and just not giving up. Um, was there something in the, the journalism side, being on the other side and learning these people's stories that inspired you to like pursue your story more? And is that what led, I'm putting words in your mouth, but is that yeah. what led you to creating the profile and making it sort of other people's story based? And, and cause I know you learned and were inspired. Was that a connection? You're like, I know I want to create something like this and it'd be my own and feature their stories. Cause it fuels me and my story will fuel others in the cycle. Is that that kind of right? exactly like um so just two things what you just said i 100 agree and i think that people's greatest insecurities have the power to become their greatest strengths if channeled the right way right i think if you channel your insecurity in a different direction it has the power to really cripple you but if you like become determined because to me i was insecure about not being able to communicate and read so when i saw these other kids reading and talking in another language i was like i'm gonna be better but i'm not necessarily better than them like i just knew i could be better for myself um and then with the profile it's Again, I think it does go back to not speaking the language that everybody around me was speaking because it forced me to observe a lot. Like I needed to pay attention to body language and social cues and I became really, really aware of everything. And I think that like observation led to led me to be like, huh, I wonder why they do things that way. Like it just really made me curious about other humans. So then when I got to Fortune, there was a woman there. She was a senior reporter named Patty Sellers, and she was known as the queen of profiles. She had profiled, you know, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey, like all these icons. And I read her stuff and I was just like, how do I have your job? Like I I felt jealousy, but that jealousy just like led me to, oh, maybe that's what I should be focusing on and that's Mm. what I should be doing. So then starting the profile was born out of like, In my free time, when I'm not at work, I really enjoy reading about people and understanding the little tiny nuances that make us different. And what are those and why is this person the way they are? Like I found that fascinating. So I started it just out of pure passion of reading profiles. Mm. It's so crazy. So that's not crazy at all. Like that (laughs) is, so that's what my students are doing is like they think, they have a pain point. I need to make a living or I need to make a living in a different way. My job is killing me or I don't have the time to be with my kids or my, my wife or my husband, even though I have a good job and I like it. So they have a pain point. And then when they're coming, let's say they land in my stuff and I'm trying to convince them that they're sitting on a gold mine, that they have something, some passion, some knowledge or something that they know that in the, the digital economy today, they can create an ecosystem around what they're excited about and other people are going to be excited about it too. And you can actually build a thriving business around it. And sometimes if their passion seems weird uh, or different, they're like, really, can you really make a business? And it's, it's a prerequisite. It's not the, it's not enough. Passion's not enough to make a, a living. It's a great start. Um, but you just described exactly like the journey my students go on, which is I've got the thing I'm doing, but then I see something else. I'm like, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And you went ahead and kind of started it in your free time on the side. You just pursued the passion. You didn't wait for permission. You didn't wait for someone to say, come on up, Polina, you can now do this. Yeah. You did it first and then the doors opened. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. And I, I think there's a very important nuance here that most people don't realize. So a lot of times when you're in business school, 
you know, the professors are like, you need a business plan. You need to figure out how this thing that you like will translate into making money. Like dollar for dollar, you need to plan it out exactly how it's going to happen. The thing that I found studying so many different people, it's that usually the biggest businesses and the most passionate communities are born out of just a selfish interest that you yourself have, no matter how weird. Spanx was born that way. Sarah Blakely cut yep. the, pan the feet off her pantyhose. It, but a really great example of this is Brandon Stanton, who created Humans of New York. And he got fired from his like job as a bonds trader in Chicago. And he was just like really down. And he was like, what do I like doing? He was like, honestly, I just like taking photos of people. He didn't have a formal photography background, anything. He picked up a camera and he walked down the streets of New York where he moved and he just made a goal of being consistent and taking, I think it was, he wanted to do a 10,000 humans in a year or something like that. So every single day, his goal was go outside, take some photos and post at least one on Facebook. That was the premise. And then that led to what is now Humans of New York, where, you know, there's these beautiful uh, kind of essays that he writes under each photo. And they're like really thoughtful and interesting and compelling. Um, that was born out of just he liked taking photos of humans. He, and, and, you know, he told me um, that New York Magazine and all these like uppity magazines were like, he doesn't even know how to take a good photo. But like, it doesn't matter because the premise is not the the composition of the photo. The premise is like, how do I capture this human's essence and then um, post about it on the internet? He has 20 million uh, social media fans now. But the point is like, I didn't start the profile thinking like, how is this thing going to make money? I started it because I wanted like a conversation starter. And, and think about how freaking niche that is. I want to curate seven or eight articles, features, long form, specifically of people, not just a feature of an investigation on whatever, the war on drugs. No, like a person and, and what makes them tick. And, and that became a thing. It's crazy. I, I don't think it's crazy. I think it's like more, <laughs> it should be more than norm. And I, I love it so much. There's, there's so much opportunity today to, I, I think to just be who you actually are and just what a gift, man. Cause I, I was just thinking about this, this morning that there used to be predetermined lanes and you like, well, what path mm -hmm. do you want to take of the options we're giving you? If you want to be successful in life, well, okay, I guess I'll be a doctor or I'll be an investment banker or I'll own a business that's a dry cleaner. And now it's like everyone has their own path that can actually, so they can express themselves and, and chase those crazy passions that they love, that they're just deeply fascinated about. And they can also, it can also make a living and it doesn't have to, not yep. every passion needs to make a living. I've got other things that I like doing that I don't want to monetize because it's mm -hmm. just for me. It's just for fun. Um, I, I love that. So the profile is awesome. Tell, tell me about, and people can figure it out and they can, they can go check them out. But you the book, the book is coming out. And by the time people listen to this, probably out should go check it out. Hidden genius, go grab a copy. Mm -hmm. Um, why this book, why did you write it? How is it different than the profile? Yeah. Hidden genius. Uh, you, I mean, you essentially said what it is earlier, um, without <laughs> addressing the book, but you said, you tell your students that they're sitting on a gold mine and like, they don't know because they just haven't been introspective and looked at like, hey, what am I passionate about? What could I do that brings me joy? And maybe it'll eventually become a business. But for me, like hidden genius is essentially, I wholeheartedly believe that every single person has a unique perspective or something that they've learned in their experience um, or some wisdom that they have. But they haven't discovered it yet. Many of them have not. And in the book, I feature a lot of quote unquote hidden geniuses um, who were able to take that unique perspective that they have and like learn from it, f learn from it and then bring other people on that learning journey with them. So with the book, that's exactly what I want to do. I've learned so much from like thousands of people that I've studied, hundreds that I've interviewed. How can I pull out the practical, practical insights in their stories and bring it uh, to the readers. And essentially, like, this is the book that I wish I had read when I was 23 years old and had just moved to New York. Instead, what I did was I looked up different people and kind of studied their paths. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of lost. I'm at the beginning of my career. I don't know what I want to do. And, and that's the other part, Graham. Like, 
be, it's been 10 years since I graduated from college. I graduated with a newspapers degree, not even a journalism degree. I graduated with newspapers. And the fact that I now make a living from Substack, a, an email newsletter, that didn't exist in 2013. It's crazy. So now just, just always keep in mind that there's always a path and things change so quickly that even if you start something today, when I started the profile, Substack didn't exist. Uh, Substack is the platform that I used to send it. So it, even if you start today, you never know that in like five years, something may come about that allows you to monetize it. But if you think like, I'm just going to be consistent and I'm going to keep going and I'm going to share my learnings with other people, then it'll naturally come. Oh, I love, I love that. I was just yesterday, I was talking to Cody Sanchez of Contrarian mm, Thinking. She's fantastic. And yeah. And we were talking about, she, I was like, she didn't even know, you know, when Substack comes out and all of a sudden she's writing a newsletter, something she never thought she would do. And I'm so glad that you pointed that out. Um, and, and this even goes back to your childhood story. Uh, I've seen the, I see the thread so clearly, right? As an <laughs> eight year old, you've been the same person since you were born. You, that, this is the way you know, God designed you. This is who you are. But it's like you're experiencing the world at different ages and then even different mm -hmm. seasons and even different opportunities that exist or technologies that exist or don't exist. And so it's, it's my personality, I, I can't put this for everyone, can become very rigid if I'm not careful of, I'm a planner on the mm -hmm. strength finders, I'm a futurist. And so I'm like, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna you know, reverse engineer my path. Mm -hmm. that's, that's admirable and helpful sometimes. It gets me into trouble when I become so rigid that I can't bend when the, the market changes mm -hmm. or when technology changes or people's interest or my own interest changes or my own season of life. I have kids or now they're getting older, you know, whatever it is. And so that malleability of being like, I don't have to change who I am, but I do have to flow and be open and curious about what, what's the best way I can show up in life in this season and still make an impact and still follow the things I'm excited about because you don't know what cool thing is going to happen. So don't plan it out too much. So anyway, I'm, I'm inserting myself yeah. into your story because it resonates so deeply with me and that you're doing the profile. And then now writing the book is another iteration of, because it's iterative, iterative and not really pivoting, but just sort of flowing with that. But it's still the same you in the core of it. That's what I see. That's so interesting. I've never, I've never thought about it that way, but it does make sense. Like even as a kid, I loved learning. And essentially, this is just another form of learning, whether it's mm -hmm. writing a newsletter or writing a book. Exactly. So I love this. I, can't, like, I literally can't wait to, to read, read the book. Um, you talk about from, from what I've seen, like mental frameworks of the successful people. And, and I, I love when someone like you, I feel like you're on the, the enviable position or enviable seat of learning from all the greats. And then you get to synthesize all of that and you're sharing it with us, which makes for a great book. But um, you've seen a lot of mental frameworks for these successful people. What are maybe one or two that stand out to you that maybe have helped you even in your entrepreneurial journey that you'd love to share? Yeah, there's one that I think about, honestly, on a daily basis. And in the whole premise of the book, a lot of people cringe when they hear the word successful. And that's because that word has kind of been hijacked by people who are like, here's a hack on how to be successful, you know? But it's, I found that most successful people actually have mental frameworks that they use. It's not just like this one hack, like drink two cups of water before 7 a.m. Like that's probably, it might help you be more hydrated, but probably won't make you successful. So one of the really interesting things that I've learned and I like, because I've met so many different people I in my head, I kind of, exactly what you just did, there's kind of like a, a thread through them. And I see like, oh, you, even though you're an ultra runner, you have something in common with this like Holocaust survivor. And like, why do you both, how did you arrive at this like mode of thinking? So there's one um, framework that I often think is like these people, a lot of them um, have often undergone severe stress or trauma or something that has ma made them mentally tough and mentally resilient. And um, it it's that they like have learned to personify pain. And what I mean by that is, um, for example, in the book I talk about, uh, David Goggins, a lot of you may know, he yep. um, used to be severely overweight, then he joined, he became a Navy SEAL, and now he's kind of like an ultra athlete. And he talks about that when he was little, he used to be bullied, um, and he was David Goggins. Now he identifies himself as Goggins, like that's kind of an alter ego, but 
he talks about going into this like dark room. And in this dark room, what he does is he looks in the mirror and he's like, you're fat, you're lazy, you're stupid, you lie. Um, and then he says, so what are you going to do about it? And of course, that sounds really harsh. And most people are like, why would I ever talk to myself that way? That's not helpful. No, it's it's basically like setting the the reality. Like, what is the reality of your situation right now? And what will you do to change it? Because if you're not aware, you, you won't ever change it. Um, so he's like, okay, you, you lie all the time. What are you going to do tomorrow? I'm going to, you know, whenever somebody asks me something, hey, uh, do you want to go out to the bar? I'm going to tell them the actual reason why I can't go. I'm not just going to lie to them to spare their feelings or something like yeah. that. Um, okay. So that's the dark room of David Goggins. Then there's Courtney Dahlwalter, who's an ultra marathoner. She runs like 100 plus mile races through the desert. She's known for pushing through pain. I think she's called like the queen of pain. Um, but she's she's kept going with a bleeding head injury. She's hallucinated. She's done a lot of crazy things. She's uh, broken bones and kept running. So she has this notion that she learned from her coach about um, going into the pain cave. And basically she's like, all right, I'm running this really, really long race at mile 70. I'll probably like hit the pain cave. I'm going to start hallucinating. I'm going to start like, you know, uh, my foot is going to start hurting all this stuff. But she just visualizes herself entering this cave and being equally as in control of when she leaves. So basically this, this is helpful because pain is temporary, right? Mm -hmm. Most of us suffer for a very long time because of one painful moment. Her point is, I know this is pain. It's temporary. I will get through it. Just finish. Mm -hmm. And then those are, those are athletes that those are kind of like easy to think about. Like it's voluntary pain. They're putting themselves in these circumstances voluntarily. But what happens when like life kind of shoves you in there against your will? That's involuntary pain. And the best example I could think of was um, Anthony Ray Hinton. He was wrongfully imprisoned on death row for 30 years. So he spent time in solitary confinement. He saw 50 men walk past his cell to go be electrocuted and put to death. So you can only imagine, I mean, that most people would, their brain would break. They would yeah. go crazy. Um, but he didn't. And he didn't because he very much like knew that I am in this small space, but there's one thing that's limitless and that's my mind. So he used to, he read a lot of books and he visualized like having tea with the queen or winning Wimbledon or marrying Halle Berry, like all wow. these things that he wanted to, he, he imagined what it would be like to live. So that's how he stayed sane. And then in the chapter on mental toughness, I talk about how like the reason these three people are really interesting is because they personify pain as like a place and I think David Goggins, he says, like, basically, if you go in and you don't break, then you'll transform because a lot of us are going to be in really, really, really awful situations. And if you haven't yet, it's probably coming. But in those moments, if you don't break, you will absolutely transform and your entire life will change. And again, it's what I said earlier, like, use that pain in a in one direction. So it's helpful to you instead of going into another that may be detrimental. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's so much there to unpack <laughs> on just mental toughness, but I, I, what I love to love to highlight really quickly is just what your point of what do these seemingly different people have in common, you know, the successful entrepreneur versus a Holocaust victim versus an ultra marathon runner. They're, they're in different worlds, but really it's the common thread of they have succeeded at their thing. And, and you have a really cool vantage point of seeing those commonalities um, and then obviously curating them for us. And I think mental toughness is one of those. I, I know, I know with my story, you know, losing a couple jobs in the great recession and, and like mm -hmm. being on food stamps and having a baby and a wife and a mortgage and being young and being like, what am I doing in my twenties? Like I'm, wow. I'm moving backwards. I have no career. And now like, I can't go out and have fun with like a bunch of single 20 year olds. Like I have to provide and I don't know what I'm doing. And then in that soup, starting a, a business and a YouTube channel, like in 2009, uh, and wow. figuring this weird thing out, like that was such a painful, like, I don't, I, I had so many emotions of like, 
you know, embarrassment and fear. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's a Christmas and people are like, hey, you know, have you found a new job yet, Graham? I'm like, no, I'm not looking for a job. I'm blogging about audio and music and so random, right? And and, and those awkward conversations, I have these like vivid memories of what it felt like. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the bad of it is like, I never want to go back there. So I can probably like hold on a little too tight to like, I got to keep pushing forward and, and make sure everything's okay when everything's okay. Like my family is set up and we are okay now. Uh, but I, that also made me a lot more mentally tough and showed me, cause I was like, um, I don't know if you, I don't think you struggled with this from what I'm hearing from your story. I was not that motivated as a, as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was to do music. I wanted to be a rock star. And when that dream didn't happen and it kind of fell apart, I like taught myself, you know, don't dream. You know, dreams mm-hmm. don't don't come true, and I just had this narrative in my head, and I'm, I'm literally writing about this now in a, in a new book. But uh, as part of it, is like I just basically convinced myself it's pointless to have a dream, and so I became an unmotivated young person who was going to at least be a good human being, but I had no aspirations, and so I didn't try hard at anything. And mm-hmm. even in my job, like I would just clock in, clock out at this, this software company, and see other people get promoted, and I didn't get promoted. Why? Because I just clocked in, clocked out. I didn't. I just. You didn't and care, yeah. I didn't care. And so all that to say my cave, my pain cave and my time that was really, really hard, that was transformative, it did teach me not only, Graham, are there things that you care about, but you actually are a hard worker. If, if it's something you believe in, like you just need to know what to chase after. You're not, you're not a slacker. You just haven't been shown the thing that you really were meant to do. And you're, no one's gonna have to convince you to work hard now, Graham, because you are gonna want to make an impact, make great videos, help people tra- see transformation. So much so that when you, you're successful in your first business, you wanna pivot to the next business. It has nothing to do with it. You don't need to start this other business, but it's because you're driven now by something bigger than yourself. It just took me a while to find that. And so I feel like there's something there in those suffering moments or painful moments that maybe for some people shape them and give them like more focus than they ever had. So they would never take away that experience, even though it was painful. Totally. And it's, yeah. And it, it goes to show like, it's not that you weren't motivated. It's that school didn't offer you certain things to motivate you in that direction. Just a very quick anecdote. I, um, I started the book off with this example, but, uh, when I was in school, like history was my hardest subject. It was just really hard for me to remember dates and names and historical events. But then it was, I think it was my senior year of high school, I realized like, if I can contextualize it for myself through the eyes of somebody who lived then, I can remember it. And it's because stories evoke emotion and emotion evokes memory. So I was like, oh, the French Revolution, you know, um, you pick one person like Marie Antoinette, for example, and you're like, wow, it must have been I understand why did so many people hate her? Why, you know, what did she think in her last moments? She was a very young queen who became like a symbol of excess, a lot of it driven by kind of like rumors and gossip in these newspapers that maybe wasn't even true. They made her son like accuser of these various crimes. And, and like, imagine the humiliation and the awfulness that she felt like 20 years old and then walking to her death in the guillotine. It's like, that I will never forget. Wow. French Revolution, you know, like you might forget certain things, but like putting yourself in the shoes of someone in the different players, just like in the future, when people look at, you know, a global pandemic, it was different for me than it was for you, than it was for an 80 year old grandmother or a mom with a single mom with two kids. So it's like, how are you going to teach these kids these things? To me, the way that I learned was through people centric learning. Mm. People, there you go. That's a book, people-centric <laughs> learning right there. I love that. I mean, that's how you sell too, on a side note, like to sell, whether it's from the stage or in a sales page hmm. or an email is you don't just convince them with facts. Uh, you, you tell right. a story and a story that they can empathize with. Because when you tell a story, the guard goes down, the conscious brain goes down and it's, it's more the, uncon- the subconscious, like it's more receptive. And you just said it, the story connotes emotion and then emotion is what you remember. And so it sticks. Um, yeah. That's why good keynote speakers tell good stories because they'll for, you forget 45 minutes of someone talking. You're like, it was great. I don't remember anything she said, but she told me that one story about her grandmother, whatever. 
boom. And if you sneak in the principal or if it leads to the offer or that's how you, it's the Trojan horse for getting getting them to remember or take action on the thing you want them to remember. I, I would I would watch an entire video of you just going through what makes a great keynote speech because I have to give one and I have no idea. So I would. Oh man, well, <laughs> you know, there's smarter people than me doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting into it. Uh, and I just, I just love it so much, but, um, it's funny. Uh, I have a friend, John Gordon, he's, he's written a ton of mm-hmm. books, um, the energy bus and, and the yes. carpenter, but, and he's a prolific speaker. And so I'm like, dude, teach me how to be a better speaker. But you know, he was like, Oh, you know, it's so simple. It's, you know, principal story application. Um, and <laughs> so then simple, I, and Graham. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I, and then I've been noticing keynotes have actually a lot of them flip it. It's like the, the acronym spa S P a story, principal application. Mm. They tell a story and then they're like, here was the thing I learned. Here's the principle for now. I learned this. Here's what you need to take away from the story. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. And then how do you apply that? Oh, yes. okay. So spa, story, principle, application, or principle, story, application. Anyway, side tangent. Mm. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that'll so, help sorry. both of us. <laughs> yeah. I love That's that. Um, so a lot of, this is, this is interesting to me. So, you, you know, you, you're a mother, mm-hmm. right? And you wrote this book right after having your first child is what I've heard. Yes. <laughs> is this true? And how in the heck did you manage to do that and keep the profile afloat and be all of those things? Writing a book is a lot. How did you do it? And, and did and did did having a child change your perspective on what you were already moving towards and what you're working on now? Oh my God, a hundred percent. So the reason that I didn't say or I didn't even tell like good family and friends that I was writing a book until it was available for pre-sale is because I genuinely didn't think I would finish it. I was just like, oh, this wow. is like a fun thing that I'm doing, but. So two key things happened. One, if it was up to me pitching publishers, I would never have written a book. What happened was I was writing my profile, my weekly newsletter week after week. And one week, an editor from a publishing house happened to read what I had written. And he sent me a message and said, hey, if you're, he's British, so he sounds amazing, but, or that's how I read it in my head. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's how I read it. Um, But he was like, if your thoughts ever turn to writing a book, let us know. That's not a British accent. Um, That's pretty good for a (laughs) Bulgarian American. That's pretty amazing. Bulgarian American British accent. Not great. Um, So, so he, so he said that and I was like, I could never write a book. The, The baby was like two and a half, three months at the time. So I was like, LOL, I'm not even sleeping. Um, And when you're not sleeping, you're thinking about sleeping, you're not thinking about writing. Uh, (laughs) So, um, so he he said that and then I was like, I'm just curious about how the book writing process goes. So I got on a call with him. And he could kind of sense that like, I was interested and curious, but that I didn't want to do it. So he was like, very, you know, smartly smartly, is that a word? He was like, um, well, why don't you just send us like one paragraph of what you think uh, you could write a book about and then we'll talk about it internally and we'll let you know like if that's something interesting in the future. And I was like, great. Send a paragraph. They were like, oh, we like this topic. Can you just like send a sample table of content? And it was just little by little yes. by little and I got sucked in. Um, but uh, my friend, before the baby was born, she said something that like stuck in my brain for literally no reason. She said, when the baby is born, my only piece of advice is take 15 minutes a day and just do something just for yourself, for nobody Mm. else, but just for yourself. She meant more like scroll Instagram for 15 (laughs) minutes. But to me, I was like, God, like I could write, you know, every single day. If I just like at night, I wrote a little bit, like that's something I do for myself. And the lesson here to me is that if you are listening to this episode right now and you're like, wow, how, how could I ever get noticed by a publisher or whatever? Mm. The key is, I once heard David Perel say this. He said, everything that you put out into the world is a vehicle for serendipity. So mm. that newsletter, I, I had no idea that it would land in front of the eyes of an editor at a publishing house. I just published it. And so you never know who's going to hit forward on your newsletter, who's going to send your product to somebody or like, who's going to be like, have you heard of this person? And then it lands in the exact right person's eyes. So, um, so I, that, that's literally how Mm. it happened. Oh gosh. I love so much about that. Um, (laughs) I could do a whole episode on that quick thoughts. Like, please pay attention to what Polina just said, going backwards. This is why I love content creation. So Mm -hmm. in the online space, right, the the world I'm trying to fight, the the wars I'm fighting are people like, well, you just, just run ads, just run ads to your product. I'm like, that's the the game isn't just to make money. 
Because if you run ads, yes, you could skip having to make a bunch of podcast episodes or write a newsletter. You could, in theory, drive sales to your product. I, I don't run any ads. It's all, all organic. What's so great about organic content is what you just described. You just proved my point. So I'm grateful that I <laughs> brought you on this to make me look smart. Um, is the serendipity thing. Every piece of content you put out on the planet creates another possible pathway back to you from someone else. And it's especially if it's valuable, free, and not asking for anything other than, hey, and use this because that gets shared. Ads don't really get shared unless they're a really funny Super Bowl commercial. Good content gets shared. So now it's shareable. It's attractive. It's a magnet pulling people back to, well, what's this Polina all about? What does she do? And it gets spread and spread and spread. And you have no idea who's watching. You have no idea who's listening. Um, it's just going out there in the world. Go ahead. Can I give you just a really quick, funny example of this exact thing? Go for it. Um, so when I was just like writing my newsletter and every week, uh, on Sunday I publish, you know, a curated list of profiles, but every Wednesday I publish a, it's called the profile dossier, but it's a deep dive on an individual person. So this was three years ago or two years ago. Um, I was doing one on Dwayne, the rock Johnson, and <laughs> normally my dossiers are very, very like practical, but his, in my opinion, turned out a little bit more like motivational and inspirational. And I was like, okay, I mean, it's good, but like, it's not exactly what I normally do, but it's okay. So I published it on Christmas Eve in 2020. Yep. It was 2020. Um, and, <laughs> and I went on a walk with my dad, um, around this like river and I wasn't paying attention to my phone. And all of a sudden I was, I kept like feeling that people are calling me. I was ignoring calls. I was like, what is happening? So I look and I have like 25 text messages, like 10 missed calls. And I was like, oh my God, did I just get canceled on the internet somehow? I don't know why that was my first thought. And then I realized, no, The Rock responded to my tweet. So basically what I did was I published this thing and then I took five extra seconds and tagged The Rock on Twitter he has millions of followers. Like, why would I ever think anything would come out of this? So he responded and he was like, I'm so excited. Uh, Cause at first I said, I was publishing this tomorrow, sign up here. And then he was like, so excited to read it. And I was like, wait, what? And then I was like, he's definitely not going to read it. I published it the next day. Not only did he read it, he reshared it on Twitter, then on Instagram, then on his wow. Facebook. Then he kept like uh, talking to me on Twitter. Now he follows me on Twitter. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> and and um, that one moment is something that I bet you a lot of companies were looking at and they were like, damn, like we, uh, our entire marketing budget couldn't afford what he just did for free, you know? Yep. And, and wow. basically when you put something out into the world, take that like extra 10 seconds after it's published or out there and be like, what can I do right now to help myself make sure that it lands in front of the right eyes? To me, it was tagging the rock on Twitter. For you, it may be like, maybe I'll send it to the PR team of this company and they'll see it, you know? Oh, that's, that's a great story. I love that. I don't have a, a rock Johnson, story, <laughs> rock Johnson story, but, but interestingly enough, how I got my start when I was having no traction on my blog is I did a review. I actually defended a brand at the time we, I was talking about music and music recording mm -hmm. back then. And there was a brand that made really budget equipment that people who were snobby and snooty would make fun of. Um, just, and it was just known as the cheap brand of microphones but they're actually really good. They're just as good. Yeah. They're just made in China and they're just copied. They're the same as the German ones, just the yeah. cheaper, you know, it's branding brand snobbery. And so I wrote an article about called brand snobbery. And I was like, why do we make fun of this brand? If you really are a talented audio engineer, you could use that hundred dollar microphone and make a record that sounds amazing. And if you can't, you're, you just aren't good at what you do. <laughs> That's amazing. And, uh, and so I did this sort of snooty thing because I love polarizing content and I really believed it. And I did what you just did. I tagged the company on Twitter back mm. then because that was the only thing I was on just in case they would see it huge brand like huge brand and the the social media guy saw it and loved it who was ever the guy that was running his account i get a message can i send you some free stuff wow. i saw your twitter i'm like sure okay and then he said hey would you ever want to like do some blogs for uh, our blog post for our our newsletter we have about like a million subscribers on our email list and i'm like yeah and, and they're all my target market and i was like i could do eight he's like great yeah. i could do an eight-part series so i was like even better because they're hungry for content. So I did this eight part series and I'm probably my first six months of business. I, I 
for me, it was a huge growth. And all of a sudden, I got in front of a million of my target customers when nobody knew who I was, just to your point, for saying what you believe in and then tagging somebody. And you just never, never exactly. know. Exactly. So incredible. I love that concept. And then real quick about the, the book and even how you approach writing the book, because I didn't know this. Um, I love that content led to it. Someone invited you, right? Because mm-hmm. your content is just sort of putting it out there. You didn't even have to go search it out. I had to go search it out. I knew I wanted to write a book. I was like, how yeah. do I do this? No one was calling yet. Um, but how you wrote it or how this British guy got you to write it or work on the idea was so smart. It was actually very helpful. That's, mm-hmm. I was coached by a friend of mine who's a best-selling author and I was overwhelmed. Like, what do you, how do you even do this? He said, very simple, just like you did. Give me a paragraph that's, why would I want to read this book? What's it about? How's it going to help me? Who's it going to help? Oh yeah. Okay. Paragraph. Easy. Mm-hmm. Table of contents. Like, okay, well I would probably teach this first and then share this first. And, and you're going from 30,000 foot to 10,000 foot. And then when you go to actually write the chapters, like, you know, oh, well, what do I want to include in this chapter? Bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And then when you go to actually write, you're just, it's just like filling yes. in the blanks. It's like a mad gabs only it's not going to be funny. It's going to be coherent, right? Of just like enter the verbs into the, and all of a sudden this 55,000 word book that I was like, how that sounds yes. overwhelming to me. Now it's just plug and play. Does that, was that your experience? Absolutely. And, and I know how my brain works and my brain, the reason that I had never wanted or thought that I could write a book is because my brain just couldn't conceive of like, how do people sit down and write books? Like that's a lot of words. That's a lot of material. My brain works in articles, short articles. So the way that I structured it is one chapter has three short sections. So I was like, today I'm going to write one, one article or one section. What I found is that a lot of times, like by writing that one section, I got an idea for the next section and I, you know, but, but it was, um, but it was very much like chunk, chunk, I don't know, like goals in chunks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but it was like, a little bit today, a little bit tomorrow. And in my, I, I honestly couldn't even do more, even if I wanted to, because of the baby. Yeah. Which is a, I'm so glad you, and this is why I wanted to bring it up. It, a, it's impressive, but B, it shows limitations on our time, our energy, our season of life aren't really limitations. They're just, it's the boundary of the canvas. Like you need a limitation. Yes. Like having more time isn't helpful. Like you know, That's Parkinson's law, right? So I love that you're like, hey, I got 15 minutes or an hour or whatever it is a day. This is, this is what I can do. It's fine. Great. Whatever you can do, you can still get the thing done. And you, there's no excuse. Everyone's season's different and we will go through different seasons and it'll be easier or harder in different ways. Yes. You wrote a freaking book as a brand new mom and that is like the hardest season of kid rearing is like when you literally don't get to sleep. It's like, that's so unfair. <laughs> and you're like a new parent, but you pulled it off. Uh, so if you can do that, I think anybody can do it. Exactly. Um, so kudos to you, man. Thank you, Graham. No, oh, this good. has been amazing. I have like a, we could go on forever. Yeah. I want to be respectful <laughs> of your time. I want to hit a, a quick segment that we do with every episode. Mm-hmm. This can go in any direction. It doesn't have to be related to anything. It's called the golden rule segment. Mm-hmm. Very simple. So you, you have your mom now, you're, you're going to raise kids and you're going to teach them all the things you've learned about life, business, whatever it is, so much stuff. You're going to teach them, teach them, teach them. And let's imagine they forget it all, those darn okay. little kids, except for one piece of advice they actually remember that sticks with them, that they'll carry for the rest of their lives, like a golden rule, a piece of wisdom. If you could choose what that would be, what would you want it to be? Oh my God, a hundred percent. Something that I wish that I knew growing up, it's tie your identity to your own name. And what I mean by that is when I graduated from college with no job, with no anything in a move back home with my mom, I thought about how like up until that point, I I had some sort of external identity. I was a student. I was the editor of the college paper. I was an intern at USA Today. All these things that sounded very prestigious. And then I graduated and suddenly I'm just Paulina. <laughs> There's no, I, no, nothing. Like I couldn't even tie my uh, identity around a job because I didn't have that. We all know people who tie their entire identity and self-worth around something they could lose, whether it's a job title or a relationship or some sort of material possession, like have a Ferrari or whatever. And all those things you can lose. Your girlfriend could break up with you. Your, um, you could lose your job and you could lose your material possessions if there's a recession or anything like that. So how do you basically just 
build self-worth on your own name. And you mentioned it at the beginning of this podcast, but I'll re reiterate it again. You have to start something that you only do for yourself. Mm -hmm. And whether that is, you know, I run three miles in the morning just because that makes me happy, or it's I start a newsletter that I write at night and on the weekends studying profiles of successful people because that makes me happy. It could be anything. The top grossing newsletter on Substack is a newsletter about salads. So like <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. Wow. She makes the most money out of anybody on that platform. There's some big people on that platform. So the even if it's like super eccentric or something you think nobody else will care about, if you care about it, there might be a few others. So um I I, I genuinely like now can say, thank God I did that. And I started the profile in 2017 because I thought that my job at Fortune as a reporter was secure, but mm. it, it's that's wrong. That's like a misconception. You could always get laid off. Media especially goes through all its cycles. You could get laid off, you could get fired, you could all this stuff. But now as an entrepreneur, I can have multiple sources of revenue, you know, like, consulting, um, uh, you know, I could uh, syndicating, I could write books, I could have uh, paid subscriptions, I ha have sponsors, advertisers. So all those things, if some of them dry up, you still have others to fall back on. But the ultimate, like the core of it is don't ever tie your identity around something that you could lose. I, I'm never going to fire myself from the profile. <laughs> yep. That is wonderful. I love that so much wisdom. Uh, I love how you, you tied it you tied it back to to multiple streams of income and being an entrepreneur. <laughs> it's uh, it's awesome. I love how you just wove those threads together. Thank you, this has been amazing, Polina. Thank you for your time for sharing. Um, everybody, the book is Hidden Genius: The Secret Ways of Thinking That Power the World's Most Successful People. Pick up a copy now at hiddengeniusbook.com or wherever books are sold. Um, and where where can people sign up for uh, the profile because they need to read it? <laughs> Thank you. Um, you can find it on readtheprofile.com. There you go. Perfect. Polina, awesome. thanks for your time today. I'm wishing you all the success with the book and with motherhood and everything else that's coming down the pike. Thank you so much, Graham. This was a blast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Polina. Isn't she great? It was a really, really fascinating conversation. Please be sure to pick up her book. It's on shelves now, Hidden Genius, The Secret Ways of Thinking That Power the World's Most Successful People. You can also go to hiddengeniusbook.com if you want to get it there directly or anywhere books are sold. And be sure to subscribe to her newsletter. Go to readtheprofile.com if you want ongoing genius and success dropped into your brain every single week. That's all I have for you today, folks. I'm grateful for your time. I hope you've enjoyed continuing to learn from these incredible guests on the show. And if you're ready to take your next step in building your passive income online business, be sure to check out my on-demand video workshop. It's below, grahamcochran.com slash workshop. It's gonna help you start and grow and build or automate that online business that you've always dreamed of. Enjoy, have a great week. We'll see you on another episode real soon.